So today we're going to talk about Charlie Kaufman's movies and Charlie Kaufman's style of making movies. Uh, he's a, a movie writer and director. Uh, I think that when I say his movies, we're talking about the movies he's written. Is that right? Uh, written or directed. Okay. And of those movies, uh, I have seen a few, uh, almost all of them. So I've seen the most recent one, which uh, came out just a couple of weeks ago, which was, I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, just last night, I watched uh, Synecdoche, New York, and then I also saw... Uh, being John Malkovich. Being John Malkovich, right? And the... Sorry, I, the name of it is escaping me. The oh oh adaptation, adaptation yeah oh it's just adaptation not the adaptation, I think so. Okay, yeah, and I haven't seen uh the other two, which are uh Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and we were just talking about this the puppet one the <laughs> Anomalisa Anna, Anomalisa yes. His best one bad is puppets. his masterpiece. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Universally acclaimed. Yeah, truly. Especially for the puppets. <laughs> so, uh, you've seen all of these movies, is that right? Yeah. Okay. So we'll just focus mainly on the four that I mentioned, because we've both seen those. Okay. So, of those four, which one do you think you enjoyed the most? Uh, I thought being John Malkovich uh, was my favorite, probably. He didn't direct that one, but he wrote the screenplay. And I actually, I think it was probably not his best screenplay of the bunch, but um, the acting and directing and yeah, everything else in the movie made it really great uh, but uh, I think we should talk about uh, what do you think of Synecdoche New York he wrote okay. and directed that one and I, I think that's really the movie where he, he he's able to be most uh, Kaufman-esque if you will mm. he, he really goes wild in that one <laughs> Yeah. There's just no inhibitions there. Well, this is definitely a trend across his <laughs> movies. It's that they're extremely strange. <laughs> Some more strange than others. All very, like, not normal movies. And uh, we can come back to being John Malkovich, which I think is of the movies we mentioned, the first one, right? In chronological order. Yeah. So he really started from a started going fast on the strange movie train, but 
this movie, Synecdoche, New York, yeah, I just watched it last night. It, I think that overall, it just it felt very profound. <laughs> of the movies, I think that's the main sense that I got from it. And it was weird because there was nothing in particular that happened that seemed very interesting, and it's like a very slow-paced movie. But overall, the fact that it's this one guy going through everything and then like recasting himself and reinterpreting his actions and trying to figure out what everything has to mean altogether, I thought that that just made a super interesting experience. So my thesis about Charlie Kaufman's movie making style, what he's trying to do in making movies, is that he's making movies that are about artistic expression. Um, and I think that in particular, it's dealing with problems or uh, the puzzle of how you do that. Um, so it's not just about like doing certain artistic expressions, like movies about happiness or movies about, uh, I don't know, romance or whatever. It's like the, the process of telling a story, making a movie about people. Yeah. I, I like this idea. I, th I, think, I think I might agree. Uh, adaptation, I think, is the most <laughs> obvious example. Oh. Or... You you know he's he's literally in, in the movie and he's writing uh yeah the movie and the movie yeah it's about yeah struggling to write the screenplay and all that um yeah Synecdoche, new york uh yeah i mean i think it's clearly about the artistic process uh, at least on one level uh, yeah, about, uh, a play director trying to direct this crazy <laughs> big play. Um, yeah, and then there's a bit more of a like one step removed approach to it as well. In uh, I'm thinking of ending things and uh, being John Malkovich, like in being John Malkovich, the premise is. Uh, what is it like to be other people? <laughs> I think that maybe is a good way to explain the sort of trick of the movie, the idea of the movie uh, that inspires what happens. And then there's a lot of cool uh, expression that he does to tell that story. But that's the idea. And that's something that you do in uh, artistic expressions about people. You're, you're trying to tell the story from someone else's perspective. You're trying to really get the reader or the the uh viewer whatever to like get into the head of your actors of your characters huh, okay. and then with yeah oh. <laughs> and then with uh finally i'm thinking of ending things i think that the theme that it's exploring about artistic expression is using other people's uh work to express your own work and then falling into this trap of only being able to think in terms of other people's thoughts and not having original ideas. Okay. Yeah. Well, 
Well, it's not something in, in being John Malkovich. The main character is is an artist. He's a puppet person, right? And <laughs> a puppeteer. Yeah, <laughs> a puppet person. <laughs> and he gets his original job because he's unemployed <laughs> because he's mm-hmm. a puppeteer. What uh, is his wife? His wife is a artist as well, isn't she? Oh yeah, yeah. Is she a painter? I think, yeah, I forget what she does exactly. Oh, you know, in uh, in Synecdoche, New York, the wife is also a painter. <laughs> Remember, she paints those little oh. tiny paintings. You have to look at it through like a magnifying glass. <laughs> <laughs> like in tiny furniture. Oh, yeah, it's exactly like that. <laughs> oh, no, we can't connect this to her. <laughs> Dunham. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so in being John Malkovich, yeah, the person, I, yeah, I guess I don't, I didn't see the artist parallel as much, and I, I don't know if I, if I'm convinced yet, but, but it is the artist who's like introducing people into this experience. Um, like he finds the portal and shows it to his coworker and. Uh, and a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Although it was a business. <laughs> yeah, it was the coworker that came up with the idea, but it's the main character that finds the portal. And, yeah. And the movie is about, about him, obviously. Yeah, I think that the artist parallel to me does seem pretty strong because he's a puppeteer. So he, by his art, is trying to control something that is sort of lifeless and without form. And he's trying to give it life and form in the way of like an actual person would give, if it was an actual person, these little puppets. And then the end of the story, or sort of what does this portal allow him to do? It's like allowing him to puppet, but for real, that he literally does get to be in the place of other people in particular oh, yeah. john malkovich yeah okay yeah i see it now and i think there's parallels to the artistic process in what they end up doing with the portal right he has uh, you can almost read a lot of things metaphorically i think so uh he has this um <laughs> relationship i don't know what you would call it with his uh co-worker right and he just like totally uh, hopelessly in love with her and she does not reciprocate in any way basically and <clears throat> what ends up happening is that he finds the portal and then he shows her the portal and she's like oh okay we can make some money off of this <laughs> and it's like okay so what is what is she symbolizing what does she represent that she's something that he just can't help but strive after but is forcing and taking advantage of him Wait, what? She's taking advantage of him. Yeah, she's trying to make money off of this ability that he has, the portal that he's found. I see that portal is kind of like 
you could think of it as an artist's ability to write a compelling perspective that you can read a novel or watch a movie and really get into the head of these characters into another world. Okay. And it's not explicitly connected to him. Like he doesn't power the portal or anything, but he does find it. So it's kind of his ability that he's unlocked. Uh, well, and, and ultimately he's the one that's able to use it the best, able to control John Malkovich, basically, mm-hmm. instead of just experiencing what he experiences. Yeah, and also, yeah, John Malkovich is obviously the actor, <laughs> and he's an actor in, in the movie. Uh, uh, yeah, another artist of a kind, and yeah, yeah, he's seen as like uh, the actor is actor. Yeah, and the actor himself, he becomes a puppeteer, and then he's puppeteering the the actor who's puppeteering the puppets. Yeah, I think that the way that it turns out where he sort of obsesses over becoming Malkovich or puppeteering Malkovich, especially in order to like, you know, have his affair with the, with his crush, but it's, he hogs it all to himself, right? Like before he was uh, showing it to other people and he was earning money off of that in a sort of underground way. But now he's completely shut off the rest of the world from this experience and taken it all for himself. Yeah. Oh, on well, yeah. Although eventually he becomes a puppeteer using Malkovich's body, um, becomes a public thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Uh, do you do you have a point about uh this? Do I have a point about this? Or were you going to say something? No. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I, I was thinking of... Um, I'm thinking of ending things. I think that one... It's, it's about a similar theme, but it's like the character is someone who experiences other people's art rather than you know creates it so then from there it's like it has some similar ideas yeah it's like almost the reverse of john malkovich where in john malkovich he finds this portal into another person and then he's able to live through their eyes but in uh in i'm thinking of many things he is this janitor who has no artistic ability and he purely lives through his fantasies of thinking through other people's. Yeah. He starts off thinking through other people as opposed to in John Malkovich or it's the other way around. I mean, he has like a kind of creative ability, but it's just uh, filled with his stories uh, are filled with other people's work and i guess they're kind of they're not very interesting uh 
<laughs> creations. They're all like everyone in his fantasies kind of resembles himself and has like the same interests. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. He's projecting himself onto everyone. And also, <laughs> I guess that he resembles it off of people that he's met, but <laughs> not that he's really understood anything about them other than what they look like. Yeah. I think that the the, the sort of like explanation of the girlfriend character in I'm Thinking of Any Things is that it's someone that he met at a party or something and just like got to know them just barely and didn't even really remember their name but remembered what they look like and then they become the character in his story <laughs> and that's all that he has to work with yeah it's, it's like that one watching it is kind of like very odd it's like kind of like walking into the Malkovich portal, I, I think. <laughs> it's like, huh. it's, it's all about, yeah, you get to see everything in this guy's internal uh, experience. Uh, and it's a very odd one, but maybe, yeah. It's not odd that it's odd. Huh. Yeah, I guess that you as the viewer, you are going into the Malkovich portal because you're seeing it so intimately, his like inner thoughts. Yeah. You're inside of his mind, not really inside of his head. I, in Malkovich, it's a little bit more literal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the guy, oh. yeah, there isn't much of a physical or uh, practical uh <laughs> part of his part of his experience right yeah so let's see was there one of the movies that we were missing that we're not connecting to this arc i think it's those four movies wow this is going to be People aren't going to follow if uh, they haven't seen a lot of movies or movies. <laughs> yeah, well, that's never stopped us. <laughs> yeah. We just need Agnes Collard to do another tweet about it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my, that's my thesis. And I work it through those examples and personally i'm i'm pretty confident in my understanding on a very high, like at a very high level i think that in terms of the details there's a lot about his movies that i wouldn't be able to explain so i do think that there's room but the patterns that i see and the significance of the content that i get out of those movies and i really do like the movies um, I would say that uh, of all of them, I'm thinking of anything is still my favorite. But mm -hmm. I see the pattern being significant enough and contributes to my enjoyment so much that it seems like I'm getting onto something.
Okay, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I see the pattern, but it, I don't think it's probably intentional. <clears throat> Seems like he's, <laughs> he's a guy who's just very self-reflective and thinks about himself and then thinks about his own thoughts a lot. And he does this even when he's creating something, which, like, you'd think when you're creating a work of art, you should be, like, absorbed in just in terms of the world you're creating but but i think yeah he just inevitably involves himself uh in those circumstances huh. and I, I think i mean the theory i guess adaptation is just about that so um at least in that movie it, it is intentional mm-hmm yeah, that is a that's a good point whether or not it's intentional and I would I think that you're right that it's not totally intentional. Um and in adaptation it's a little bit more intentional for sure though. <laughs> Maybe even very much intentional. But let's talk about adaptation for just a second because uh we had talked about this before and I think that I had watched um uh, thinking of any things and I'd really enjoyed it and you'd recommended me adaptation. Or I don't know if you exactly recommended it to me, but you said it was a good movie. So I watched that one. And I was pretty disappointed with it. I didn't really like it that much. Um, I liked how it started, but I didn't like the last half of the movie. Yeah, you actually watched it before I'm thinking of anything. Oh, did I? Yeah, and then you watched Being John Malkovich afterwards. Oh, Okay, yeah, sorry. Please, I'm excited. You, you didn't. You didn't. You, when you watched um, thinking of anything, you didn't know that uh, it was written and directed by the same guy as adaptation. Right. Oh yes. Okay, I remember now. Yeah, you're you're totally right. Um, and after watching a few of his other movies, uh, Synecdoche, New York, and being John Malkovich, I think I actually do have a little bit more of an appreciation for adaptation. And I think that what I was missing is that the way that adaptation works out is that the first half of the movie is like dealing with the trouble of uh, trying to express someone else's work in your own words and making it interesting and all this stuff about movie writing in general and a little bit about um how to talk about characters in your movie <laughs> and um he has a little bit of a back and forth with his twin brother who's like an alter uh consciousness <laughs> and they talk a lot about how to express multiple pe people as uh, or the same person as multiple people in a movie and it doesn't work <laughs> which is very funny but <clears throat> the last half of the movie turns into this like totally stereotypical uh thriller not really mystery but just like th thriller uh normal movie it, there was nothing super uh weird about it like especially in contrast to the beginning of the movie well, so i found that strange and i found it yeah it was like totally stereotypical hollywood trope ending uh for a storyline where you know they're the the writer ran away with the uh, ran away with his her <laughs> boyfriend and they're dealing drugs and they get into a gun so battle and they're running around in the swamp and they're like totally imbeciles like they have no idea what they're doing and they're just out there 
and it doesn't make any sense <laughs> especially like given the first half of the movie when you're like where is this going and then the last half it's like what does this have to do with that at all <laughs> but in a meta sense it really does have to do with it uh, be, as you end up understanding which is he figured out how to write his adaptation and you're watching it so there's a seamless transition between him talking about his experience in trying to write it and the actual written product um and i thought that was cool and i was disappointed by the ending because how stereotypical and stupid it was but in comparing it to his other movies i think i actually i found it interesting because it was not what i expected it disrupted my expectations based on the other kinds of movies he made. He actually was able to execute something that was like, you know, well done, but is normal. Like, it didn't have to be crazy and incomprehensible. Uh, so yeah, I found that well, contrast to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the adaptation. And I mean, all those things you said about it are... I mean, they're true. I mean, that's, you know, the, that's the second half. It's like he goes all in on all the Hollywood tropes. And it's so funny because <laughs> that author is a real person and he made her have an affair and <laughs> do drugs and all that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It, I thought it uh, played nicely from the beginning where he's like, how do you write a book? Uh, how do you write a story or a movie about? Um, a book that's about flowers and it's like well yeah I mean kind of the obvious way to do it is to write a Hollywood thriller and he can't here's your answer he can't bring himself to just do that so instead he finds a really convoluted way to do exactly <laughs> that oh man that's actually really good yeah <laughs> He can't stand actually making the second half, so he has to preface it with the first half, where it's like crazy yeah. meta movie. <laughs> <laughs> but the and yeah, but the second half it's just like indistinguishable from Hollywood thriller. But but he gets to be like, actually, this is I'm better than this. This is you know, <laughs> this isn't actually happening. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that I didn't think of it in that terms in those terms before but that that does make sense actually i think all of his movies um have are real stories and i like that about his movies and so like a lot of them have mainstream appeal as well he's like the first half of adaptation it's like um or the i guess the second half of Snacktopia new york uh, it's just like a postmodern experiment almost and there is there isn't really a straightforward story at all it's just like this interesting uh self-referential idea but it, i think yeah I, I don't know for me there's something missing when it's just that alone and then so yeah i appreciate that when he's able to use that in, in a in the context of something that tells a meaningful story or something meaningful. So I guess in I'm thinking of ending things. It's maybe 
the most straightforward story is there isn't it's not even postmodern or self-referential one way to look at it because it's just telling the, sto- the story of a guy who is a janitor and um about like what he thinks about when he's at his job but you know in order mm-hmm. to depict that it does all these extremely interesting things that that's just like and that's most of the movie so you know he was able to incorporate like these postmodern elements into a real narrative and then yeah an adaptation he does the same thing but it's just like kind of a joke like he just force fits <laughs> these to- two totally different elements into the same movie and yeah Uh, Yeah, yeah. The way you're talking about, I'm thinking of many things. The way I would say along those lines as well is that it's like using postmodern tools and postmodern elements to tell a real story. (laughs) Yeah, basically. And it seems like, I think even, it might be even after I finished watching the movie and then like I read about it a little and I thought about it and that's when I like, figured out what was going on but i didn't figure it out until afterwards and so i thought you know i thought it was like basically this weird postmodern movie that made no sense <laughs> and i i didn't even know that it made any sense and i think just watching the movie for a while like any viewer you know it doesn't make it's not clear what's going on but yeah, yeah i think that's a good way to put it um He's using, ultimately, I, I think he is using postmodern tools to tell a real story. I find that such a funny contrast. <laughs> it's almost like a, a similar kind of contrast to the adaptation contrast. Because the point of postmodernism is that, you know, there is no story. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think, though, okay. that... So, uh, Adaptation Sorry, there okay. Adaptation there isn't a story. But you know, the framing is that there's no story and there's like a joke story and and then uh yeah, and, and I'm thinking of anything. It's all a story. Yeah. Uh so the funny thing though, even at another level, is that adaptation is about adopting a story right it's a real story that exists it's a movie it's a book out there but and he was told to make an adaptation of it but we don't know anything about that book yeah, we never learned so what the yeah, story it's is so funny it's, it's so great i love it because you know that the ending is totally not what happened in that book oh it doesn't say anything about the book it's just i mean the movie starts with like with what happened which was he was he signed a contract to adapt a book and then he decides to make it all about himself but, yeah <laughs> yeah it's not an adaptation reads, like, particular <laughs> yeah it totally isn't it is uh, the adaptation though it's it has like title. it has the author in it which i don't even i, I wonder if the book has the author in it i i, I don't even know that but it has the author in it who isn't i mean she's but she's just like the character is in it but it, it doesn't it's not the person that actually wrote it it's, it's the <laughs> character in the movie 
Yes. And <clears throat> it's great because he um he takes particular quotes from the book, right? He like reads these sections and he finds them so inspirational. <laughs> it's like <laughs> we don't know anything about that book. <laughs> Those quotes are probably totally out of context. <laughs> yeah, he's set to justify everything. <laughs> I wonder if what the author thought. Like you know, your movie or your book gets picked for a adaptation and then you go and watch this thing. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> That's great. I wonder. I'm sure that the author had something to say. <laughs> like, nope, I expected the, the movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not enough sex and drugs. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, in terms of uh, I'm I'm thinking of many things. It is based on a book as well. That that movie is uh, obviously it's more closely based on the book, <laughs> but but I think uh, I haven't read the book, but I have a feeling that it works better as a movie actually. Because uh, and I I don't know exactly how much he took directly from the book and how much he added himself. I think it was a lot that he ended up adding himself, but some of the things he does at a meta level like some of the things are very explicit they're like he they're reciting a poem which is obviously not her poem she's telling a poem that already exists out there and you can find it or <clears throat> he's giving a speech and it's not his speech like this is not a new speech this is a speech that is taken from another movie and is in a completely different context here for no reason and or for some contrived reason that uh is like trying to f satisfy some goal in the movie that's like very uh not flowing well but uh there are some parts that are a little bit more subtle that i found work really well in movie form like the beginning of the movie is almost like a horror movie right they're they're coming to this old house in the middle of nowhere and then they get inside and the everything's weird and mysterious and then there's this basement door with a bunch of scratches on it it's like wait why don't you let me go downstairs and he's like no you can't go downstairs <laughs> And it's this total, like, stereotypical setup to a horror movie, right? But I think that's part of the, the funniness of it. It's like he had to use a horror movie intro to do this, <laughs> to tell this story. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, I don't know what to do from here. I can't let you go downstairs. So, oh, we'll go into the living room and now we're going to have dinner. <laughs> it's just like piecing together all these different themes uh, in a not super explicit way it's like you know it's a trope of how things happen it's not like spelled out to you yeah that, that was weird from the beginning wait so <laughs> wait what why is that uh why why is it doing that why is it piecing together these different uh storytelling techniques i think that's the the idea behind the uh, main character is that he's only thinking in terms of, or he's only thinking unoriginally. He can only think in terms okay. of other people's uh, expressions and artistic styles. He doesn't have his own style. Okay, yeah. That's, so that's he good. wants to introduce, or he, he needs to go into his house, so he has to do it through this uh, horror movie setup. 
And then as soon as he's done with that, he's like, okay, we've gotten in the house and I don't want to go downstairs yet because I don't want to look at the things I'm ashamed of down there. So now it's dinner time. So there's, there's no transition. It's just like from one style of storytelling to the next. Because it's, it's not a style of storytelling that he's using in a natural way. It's, he's just using it as a tool to tell what he's trying to say. Or not really what he's trying to say, but, you know, his, his fantasy, what he's thinking about. Yeah, and, and he's very unself-aware. Like, he's these little, like, the basement or his painting path, like, comes up or creeps up. And <laughs> then he's not able to incorporate that into the rest of his thoughts. So it's just, like, it's abrupt transition just like moves on something else and yeah just like hides away yeah oh man that was done so well the the feeling it gives you is like when there's something that you don't want to think about and you're just like okay i have to think about something else i don't want to think about that <laughs> yeah it happens a lot uh so i think it's a pretty strong uh idea in the movie Yeah, it was, yeah, it was funny. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's funny, then, that there are places where, you know, like, the girlfriend character goes into his basement and, like, looks at uh, the laundry and all these little things. It's funny that that happens. It's like, Almost like, you know, there's like a subconscious or a separate element of his mind that could could like wander around without being noticed. She's like, she's hiding from his character while she's doing that. And it's like, his character is not aware of what she is. Yeah, um, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but he does protest her going down even when she ends up going down. But he doesn't, like, come down and grab her. He just, like, yells at her from the top of the stairs, and she just ignores him. So he knows that she went down there, but she he can't stop it any longer. And he can't see, like, what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't go down after her. Yeah. That's weird. But I think you're right. It is expressing that in some way. It's like he he doesn't want to think about this, but some part of him ends up doing it anyway. And uh, maybe partly unconscious. Uh, way. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it couldn't be. It's not. Yeah. It's not like the rest of it. It's like. Yeah. I think he's even afterwards, you know, those parts, like the painting and all that is still hidden away uh, from from the normal story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. uh, If this had been a story of, like, character growth, uh 
his character would have gone into the basement. That would have been, <laughs> yeah, the point of evolution. But in this movie, like, he's just nothing compared to almost the same guy at the beginning of the game. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a little bit. Maybe it changes it afterwards. Yeah, at this point, there's no change. Um, I think that my reading of it is that he doesn't change at all throughout it. It's like a, it's almost a routine thing that he has this experience. The ending's a little weird, right? That's true. <laughs> it's a weird movie altogether. I mean... <laughs> Maybe this is a this is oh yeah sorry. I feel like I kind of get it, other than I mean some details like the end, but that, that's all. Mm -hmm. This is another uh, trend across this movie. So we've we've taken a very like high level description of the types of things he's doing. But in a more concrete way, his movies are very strange. They do these very mesmerizing, like contorting uh, manipulations of the environment and the characters that are very unnatural in order to uh, make it a surreal environment. Um, of all of them, I would say that adaptation does that the least. <laughs> There's no like mind-bending reality warping things that happen, but it is still super strange in that literally the making of the movie you're watching is happening in the movie. Yeah. There is a bit yeah. of a, a Mobius strip happening there, but with the other yeah. movies for sure, it's like super mind-bending <laughs> visuals and stuff like that. What I love about yeah. the... Uh, I'm thinking of ending things though is that nothing is explicit like it's all camera tricks and uh perspective changes that make it seem strange there's not like you know nothing on screen is clearly happening in the wrong way yeah except for the variant oh okay yeah you're right and the floating dead pig is pretty strange uh wait what when was that? Is that In, the very end? I'm thinking of many things. Yeah, the the pig that is like a cartoon character. No, I, uh, one in the movie. What like what part in the movie you, was that? At the end. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh, so when he is getting out of his car. Yeah, I'm. So it was at the end. But yeah, adaptation, it's take, like the movie is shot like a normal movie. And, it, and it's only weird because, <laughs> because of, you know, we're told that the character is Charlie Kaufman and he's writing a, mov a movie called Adaptation. But yeah, it's <laughs> shot like normal. Uh, And, and that one's, yeah. yeah, not directed by Kaufman. Uh, I'm thinking of anything. And Snecky New York are directed by Kaufman, and those are hmm. uh, pretty strange. 
the one being John Malkovich oh, okay. is just, That's interesting. the story is strange. <laughs> and so it's, <laughs> it's kind of shot straightforwardly for what it is, but but yeah, it's shot like the portal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved that environment of the, what was it, the seven and a half floor? <laughs> that was oh, yeah. so well done. It's like su- such a cool idea. <laughs> Apparently that screenplay. I love how also. Oh, sorry. Apparently that screenplay was like a million times crazier, uh, at first before it got edited. Like when it was going around, it was like, <laughs> it was on like the blacklist, like list of like the best screen- screenplays that haven't been made yet, and had something to do with like Satan ruling the world at the end. I think. Oh but what? I, I can't even. I don't. I don't. It was so crazy. I don't. I don't remember. You can read about it. Is it out there to read? I don't know, but there. I read a description of it a long time ago, and it was just it was so crazy. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> oh man, that's such a shame. I would have loved to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, it's crazy it got made is. at all, even in the form that it is. It's <laughs> like just like one of the crazy, crazier Hollywood movies. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it. I, I guess I would say it's the second strangest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> what? That, wow. Second only to uh, the Holy Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I, I. It's one of the. As far as like mainstream Hollywood movies, might be like yeah, the oddest one. Because it's made by like yeah, an established director and it has all these like Cameron Diaz and John Cusack, like all these huge stars in this <laughs> crazy story. And John Malkovich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It definitely does things in a like obviously the portal and then you get like a perspective from you know, inside their head or whatever. So there's a little bit of that going on that's clearly supernatural. Or, yeah, or weird. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine of the Smallest Mind is also, that's, that might have the most uh, interesting directing in terms of it being weird. That one's crazy. Oh, really? Huh. Speaking of the the referencing, that one was pretty straightforward from what I remember. (laughs) Puppets do that. Yeah, other than puppets part. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a normal movie, except everyone's puppet. Yeah, that's been done before. It's just an odd choice. When you talking about how the screenplay for being John Malkovich was more crazy, though, that actually that makes some sense to me because one of the things that I, I mentioned this to you after I had watched it, but one of the things that I found disappointing or like what could have obviously been done better was the secret scheme behind the old people that want to move into mm-hmm. younger bodies. Uh, 
so the scheme was that they have been around for centuries and like have been continuing to do this uh, by tracking the person they're going to all move into uh, by becoming them, going through their portal, and then doing it over and over. Um, but they explain it in such detail that there's no mystery left. Like It's just completely out in the open exactly what they're doing. And it's weird, but it's not that surprising, especially... Like, given that there is such a portal, like, the fact that there's this group of people doing this is very uh, routine, almost. Like, of course, yeah, so there's some people that are using it for that. Um, so I feel like it would have been much better if they had kept that a mystery, exactly what their plan was, and they're like this secret force, maybe they're behind how the portal works or something like this. Um, and I imagine maybe there's something like that in this more extravagant screenplay where like Satan is the one controlling the portal and there's like this whole intricate uh, back story to the mysterious mythical origins of this power and they're controlling everything and all this stuff. Yeah, may maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I wasn't bothered by that subplot. I, I was because I thought the movie was really about uh being John Malkovich. <laughs> it was like about uh the main character going into Malkovich and yeah, kind of stuff that happens there. So mm -hmm. the yeah the thing. The other plots would seem like they were just thrown in, but yeah, I, I mean, I <laughs> yeah, don't think exactly. anything. I think I don't think anything about this movie. Uh, I I don't think this movie was very, um, <laughs> well constructed. Like I, and I think it was meant to be. Probably it was just supposed to be crazy, and it, and it has all these different things that barely end up mattering. I mean, hmm. like his I'm... transgender wife subplot, and then <laughs> the Maxine subplot, and then, uh, yeah, and then people trying to take over the world, and then there's John Malkovich and, and the main character. Um, I I actually thought that the three different subplots, which were like, uh. I don't remember their names, but there's the main character, his subplot, which is what he's trying to use the portal for. There's his wife, who she's trying to use the portal for something, which is to get with his girlfriend, or with his <laughs> uh, wannabe girlfriend. <laughs> and then and then there's Maxine's use of the portal, where she doesn't actually even use the portal, but she, she likes to use it to manipulate people. <laughs> and yeah. I think that it worked really well that they all had this totally different take on how to use this portal and it they interlaced it together and that their actions actually mattered to each other uh so it wasn't just like they were trying to do different things and then struggled over using the portal for it it was that they actually changed each other's course of actions by how they use the portal like uh so the main character becomes john malkovich for a long time and becomes a successful puppeteer and uh, attracts the attention of Maxine and enough to have her marry him. So uh, I guess that he gets her his fill of her. And then 
eventually Maxine just effortlessly <laughs> backstabs him and after you know like however long of marriage <laughs> and then uh she gets back together with uh with uh, his wife <laughs> to raise their kid which is apparently the wife's kid <laughs> so <laughs> because the wife was in Malkovich when it happened <laughs> Yeah, I I mean I'm it's a bunch of stories. I mean I it's just yeah. I thought it worked really well, all those stories, all of them except for the evil old people. Oh. I thought that was totally unnecessary. Yeah, I it would be really great if the original screenplay was out there. Yeah. Yeah, I want to look for it. There, there is, yeah, there. One of his early screenplays, he can. It's like mentioned it before. It's called like Two Roommates or something. <laughs> really good. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess that overall. I feel like I've said most of the things that I wanted to say about his movies and his style. What do you think? Yeah. I, so, um, yeah, I, I think he's doing a really interesting thing. And I think we kind of got to some of it. Like, they're postmodern movies, but yeah, they tell a real story seems like and kind of unique i haven't seen you know many movies or like his movies yeah it's... i i tend to like movies that are about having an experience like it's less about a core story that's happening and it's more just a cool sequence of events so maybe that's more along the lines of postmodern uh like Hanukkah's movies, <laughs> a lot of them are the ones that I enjoyed the most are just watch this movie and experience what's happening. There there doesn't need to be a story behind it that the characters are on some plot arc or anything really. Um, but in these movies, it's almost like it comes with that facade, like it's just a weird movie, but it really does have something underneath that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, Hanukkah's or, movies, I think, usually aren't. Like, Funny Games is kind of... Uh, not, not even that, really. Yeah, I think, yeah, those are just... Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to classify those. I don't, I don't see them as postmodern. They don't... Yeah. They're not, like... They don't have these elements of like being self-referential i guess that's true that's true or like the directors in the movie or something <laughs> yeah yeah he does uh kaufman seems to have a knack for doing self-referential things that seems to be a common theme yeah 
uh, yeah, this is. Yeah, now now I'm thinking of even more th things about uh, people won't have uh, seen, but Beginner's Guide is a little bit like Kaufman's uh, movies. Oh, oh, you mean the video game? Yeah. But yeah, I I I like the movies a little more. I think because they tell the story as opposed to being like you know, just the um experimental element. But yeah, I mean the video game is like very short, so. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's probably longer than the movie. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, for what a video game can do. Right. Sure, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that does make some sense to me. I guess that now we require you to re have watched all of Coffin's movies and played The Beginner's Guide <laughs> <laughs> in order to understand this podcast. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh oh I I really enjoy his movies and I'm uh probably one of my favorite directors, definitely. Oh, okay. Uh yeah, I'm, I definitely I'm insane here, but I definitely gonna look out for um movies that do similar things and uh, yeah. I'm already thinking about it, but a bit more. Like uh, David Foster Wallace, a lot of his works remind me, I, I think, are similar. And a lot of his books and stories are like, they, they have this postmodern element, but they also end up telling stories a lot of times. And hmm. he wrote, oh, this would be very interesting to look at. We should. We should consider as an essay I read a long time ago. It's called uh, something complicated. It's like about <laughs> television and new media, but he has um, I, from what I remember, he writes about like the way to sincerity through these ironic mediums like, like television which is you know which you know postmodernism is i think all, all about irony but um mm -hmm. I, I think his essay was seen as yeah uh, it's also like held up by others um to do a similar thing i think they call it new sincerity but it's like yeah trying to tell i i think how i say this it's trying to tell stories through these ironic or self-referential forms um without hmm. these oh, yeah, that's interesting it's a little different from like the beginning of postmodernism where it's all just almost incomprehensible and it's so 
uh, experimental. But yeah, um, yeah, I think that might be something related to this. Okay, yeah, that would that would be something interesting to look into. Maybe you could read that essay at some point. Yeah. I yeah I I don't really like him as a writer, but I like that essay. <laughs> well, it's fine. You're allowed to like a single essay. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's all I have. Should we end here? Sure. Yeah, I was just thinking for a second about: Are there any other movies or? directors that do things uh, that sort of remind you of Kaufman or are similar to some of his movies can you think of not really yeah I was thinking about that but yeah it's like super, it's, it's very unique yeah I think funny games a little bit but it's different because it's commenting on Hollywood movies instead of on itself yeah <laughs> even though it yeah, pretends not... to be like a hollywood movie it's not actually what it's pretending to be so i, I think it's ultimately not self-referential it's a commentary on hollywood movies instead of on itself yeah yeah it's commenting on the genre that it's emulating but it isn't actually a part of that genre or a movie of that kind yeah i think so Yeah, I can't. I, I know that you know, breaking the fourth wall and all that kind of thing is common in movies, but generally it's used as ironic or comedic uh, as opposed to being a core of what the movie is about. Yeah. What I think of sometimes is things like. Uh, stuff that Dan Harmon does. Uh, for example, he writes Rick and Morty, right? And uh, I think that it plays into it a little bit because it is a show of the kind that it's often commenting on or it's using the sorts of tropes that it's commenting on, um, but it's still criticizing them or making fun of them or being ironic about it. Okay, yeah, but I think that's just... Again, commentary, uh, you know, it's similar in some ways. But th that's like uh, funny games, right? It's a similar thing. Um, I would say not because Rick and Morty also has a story of its own. And it has, it's not just a one-off thing, right? It's a big uh, lasting TV show. It's not just commentary. Oh, but I mean, like, the elements that you're talking about are commentary. Uh, kind of, but I think that the commentary also applies to itself. So I agree that it's commentary, but I think it also applies to the show. Maybe not that particular episode, but the show in general. But, but that's true of funny games in the same way. But I, I just, I, I'm, I think, like, uh, you know, like, adaptation where the movie is being written within the movie and it's not, I think that's 
just different from commentary. It's it's like mm-hmm. it's breaking the fourth wall, uh, and it's yeah, it's core to the story. It it would be like if in Rick and Morty, uh, Dan Harmon appeared in it, <laughs> but it's like it's not animated. It's like him actually animating Rick and Morty, and if that was integral to. Or if that was a part of Rick and Morty, and or if uh, okay, or if in Funny Games, if Hanukkah was the movie was about <laughs> was about Hanukkah directing Funny Games, or something like that. Uh huh. I I yeah yeah, I yeah. that's maybe commentary. That's true. That would be more direct. Referentially, a little different. I I do agree. There is a distinction there. And I agree with you on the distinction applying to, for example, Funny Games being more commentary and Rick and Morty being more in commentary. I guess that I see it as close, but there is a line to be drawn. Yeah, I, I think there's a similarity there. It, Rick and Morty is more like what Kaufman's doing than like The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, that's kind of like parody almost. I'm I'm sure there's like a lot in like experimental uh, films that nobody watches. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Well, if you're a listener and you know something that goes into this category let us know for sure email us it's weird that there wouldn't be more because i mean like adaptation it's like pretty easy to film like there's <laughs> you know nothing there's no like special effects or anything uh to achieve the the self-referential That's true, but you have to, you know, in order for it to be self-referential, you have to go out into the middle of the swamp and fight a bunch of people and uh, have lots of drugs, and and then you have to make a movie about that experience. Yeah, and <laughs> isn't that what happened to Coffin? <laughs> well, that part, I mean, yeah. Self-referential part is just—it's <laughs> just him writing. I'm just uh, kidding. Yeah, at a desk. <laughs> yeah, that oh, was so the, the self-referential part. Was the cheap? Was the cheap part of the movie? It costs like. <laughs> uh, you have to pay the actor, and you have to find a desk and a room. I guess. Yeah. I think it's probably because it's hard to pull off. If you do it wrong it just ends up being really bad like like how you talk about the or how you talk about adaptation if it was just the first half of the movie then it would be bad yeah and i i think i think there's like not an audience for it either you know people (laughs) i mean obviously avengers and stuff like that um yeah most movies are pretty straightforward and dumb I I bet even adaptation. I I think that movie probably did terrible, <laughs> did terribly financially. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, I'm thinking of ending things 
you can do that because it's Netflix. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Kaufman couldn't. He I, he actually couldn't make a movie for a long time. Uh, talked about it in like a New York Times profile, and so he wrote a novel. I I think that was why he wrote the novel. Um, oh right. Yeah, and he just couldn't make a movie for a long time, and then he made. Uh, finally, I'm thinking of ending things on on Netflix as well. Where yeah. You, where you can kind of, yeah, make stuff even if you can't get a like studio funding. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully he releases more on Netflix then. Maybe you should make a YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should. I bet. Yeah, I bet he he has like a lot of ideas that you could make. Yeah, just do little shorts. That'd be cool. Here's a question. How would you categorize uh, Clouds of Sils Maria? Uh, Because that's kind of like, it's about movie making. I don't think so. I I think it's about actors. I didn't think it was about movie making. Well, actors uh, are yeah. a part of making movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I don't think the movie's about making movies. I, I don't know. I just okay. thought yeah, that's, that's a straightforward movie. Like, it's just like a straightforward psychological story about mm-hmm. the two or three women. Two or three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're three. right. I I mean, yeah, it's kind of about two. You could include the other two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, I can't think of anything else. <laughs> yeah, I think that the most common form that I can think of of this self-referential this would be in the form of parody where in the parody it's like oh i'm blah 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 i'm stupid blah 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 you know trying to make fun of it Hmm. or they do something really dumb or like in uh space balls have you seen space balls i've seen a little bit of it i don't don't think i've seen it all there's a lot of parts in the movie where they're doing this sort of sufferential like there's a merch merchandise uh, shop where they're selling space balls merch and they're like buy your merch everyone <laughs> yeah and it's parodying like star wars having this whole uh financial setup around it and then there's a part of the movie where they uh start watching the movie space balls and they try <laughs> fast forwarding to it and they're like okay what's gonna happen next so we can know what to do and then it like pauses at the current moment so it only plays in real time like oh wait it can't go any further (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's pretty funny there's breaking the fourth wall and comedy yeah yeah most of that ends up being uh commentary because it's not actually a real version of that movie and it's not like central to the plot initially 
<laughs> yeah, it, maybe it seems like, yeah, it's very rare. It's like, it seems like there's not much of an audience for it. Probably. Just if you yeah. do stuff that just makes things unwatchable. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, that will lose your audience. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the art world is just like, well, has been full in on that for a long time. On making like things the, unwatchable? <laughs> yeah, basically. Like the fine art world, world has, on uh, making things like commentaries about themselves. That's, I mean, that's been a thing. Oh. Uh huh. Yeah, and it's not just like, uh... about the experience of being in a museum and watching the, the work of art <laughs> instead of actually being something beautiful. It's about the experience of making an experience of being in a museum. <laughs> yeah, I guess that um, there's kind of an interesting art to this. <laughs> yeah, I, I like some museums. But yeah, I barely know anyone does. <laughs> but um, this reminds me of, there's like, I never took art history, but my mom did a lot of art history, so she has a lot of books that I read. And they talk about these like arcs of artistic progression. So something will start off as people trying to make realistic depictions or show something very particular. Um... And the the main thing that people revere in is the skill of showing something accurate. And then there's some changes, or it just develops over a period of time, to the point where people get uh, bored with things being accurate, and they want things that are like totally different and nothing that could actually be in the reality. So maybe cameras are invented, and now people don't care about getting a painting of them; they want just a picture. So then art goes in a different direction and it becomes more abstract or it becomes uh, trying to depict things in ways that maybe it's different from how it actually looks, but it resembles something about the way that you experience it. So maybe like the experience of being in a museum as opposed to the museum itself. So the uh, shaking or something, some effect is happening that's making it simulate that experience as opposed to just being the thing itself. And then uh it ends up becoming more and more meta as it goes further and further in that direction and then it becomes commentary on itself and you can trace this pattern of progression throughout lots of different fields of art and i think like there's a similar pattern happening in uh online culture like for example with memes <laughs> i think memes have gone through the same exact uh progression of like artistic development <laughs> Okay. Uh, okay. They start off uh, being these like funny jokes, and then they become more and more like uh, strange or uh, about internet culture in particular, and then they become less and less accurate and more just like about being weird. <laughs> and weird means funny, or commenting about other memes or styles of memes. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't really hadn't thought about it in terms of memes. You really have to be a meme connoisseur to understand. Yeah, because I, I don't really... When, was there ever a golden age of memes where they're trying to be as accurate as possible? As realistic as possible? Uh, 
Well, the analogy to realistic, I would say, is they were as literal as possible. So it was like an actual joke. That was just oh, yeah. a straight joke. Like it didn't have references to anything else. But yeah, I, I mean, the progression is interesting. It happened in painting, definitely. I mean, people could, yeah, paint like photorealistically almost uh, a couple hundred years ago when we got like Impressionism and cube, Cubism and Picasso and all that. Uh, happened with writing and poetry, like novels and poetry. Like both of those are kind of, they're dead forms at this point. And <laughs> things that are new, even like um, postmodern novels are old at this point. Like that was the trend. <laughs> yeah, many decades ago. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, movies, it makes sense that it hasn't got to the point um, where, yeah, the where it's just degenerated into uh, self-reference. Because it hasn't, it's barely... It's getting there, though. <laughs> very new. And it has, yeah, it hasn't, it's barely developed, like, an artistic culture. Um yeah, I mean, there's a few Yeah, typically movies. they have much more mass appeal. Well, yeah, but I think that's, yeah, that's true of the other art forms as well. But, yeah, that's true of it in its early stages. Uh, Well, I think with, like, painting, for example, uh, when you make a painting, the goal is not to get the most people to see your painting, right? Whereas with a movie, I think typically it's very much rated on, okay, how many people can we come get to come see the movie? I mean, painting's a good example. It used to be about getting as many people to see your work or your work being this huge public monument. I mean, people, you know, if you think of like Michelangelo or Da Vinci and, hmm. and huge public murals and I, I mean, yeah, that period especially but even from before i mean painting and poetry think of the iliad the odyssey uh or novels um yeah i mean they they were at first these yeah they had mass appeal and then eventually they became something else at least the yeah the artistic uh trend became inaccessible to most people yeah but i, but I think movies yeah are at the point where they're they still have mass appeal because it's like paintings they're still have mass appeal painting yeah paintings still have mass appeal it's just the good ones don't it's like there's a lot of artists that and there's a lot of like poster art where you can get like a star wars poster or uh i don't know like a random landscape uh paint uh painting <laughs> but you know they're and, and those are pretty common but they're not really art they haven't been for hundreds of years but hundreds of years ago they would be considered art 
Like if someone saw that same painting, they'd be like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars, if, yeah. what's that? <laughs> if, yeah, you know, at, at the point where, yeah, the, that technique was like the most advanced. Um, yeah, it would have been art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, uh, poetry is like thousands of years old, paintings, thousands of years old. It makes sense that, you know, movies are a hundred years old. Um, and barely a hundred. It's yeah. And and the early mm-hmm. movies were like super crappy, even worse than <laughs> they were right now. Like I just heard <laughs> I had heard that, you know yeah, just I, I don't know enough to speak on this, but if you look at the titles of movies back then when they were doing remakes already like there's a popular <laughs> train robbery movie or something but they remade it with kids and that was the biggest movie of it wow amazing but I, yeah but now yeah we're in avengers phase so i think we're <laughs> we're yeah, safe I'm... for this, now uh, <laughs> this topic but yeah we could go on for a while because yeah definitely i think with poetry the mass appeal and the artistry were the same were part of the same thing for a while and kind of the same with music and painting but with movies right now it's it's not at all the same like for the most part like the highest grossing movies it's like star wars and avengers and a million other superhero movies. I mean, The Avengers is a million superhero movies, but then a million <laughs> other superhero movies. Like, those are, like, you know, 90% of the top-grossing movies. It's like... Yeah. So, and the, they're all, yeah, crappy movies. Um, like, the artistry and, and the mass appeal don't go together. I think there's some... I think of Christopher Nolan's movies as an exception, but I mean they're they're definitely an exception. The Batman movies. Yeah, I I guess yeah I meant yeah if they are an example of being you know of being artistic at all then uh they're an exception they're not like yeah they're not representative of popular movies. Yeah, like the Batman movies and Inception, Dunkirk, uh, Interstellar, like all of those did really well. Yeah, but there are like exceptions to the roles, is your point? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, even though, yeah, those did very well financially. Have you seen Dunkirk? Yeah, that is. I haven't. Oh, okay. That is an interesting comparison, and that makes a lot of sense to me, to uh, how in other mediums, like music, that the artistic, uh, I don't know, style or artistic talent and interestingness is part of the mass appeal. People like that song because of what the cool things that it did. Um, there are definitely still pop songs that don't really do that, but there seems to be a more healthy uh population of 
better songs um, that still get some appeal. But with movies, right, it's totally dominated by the giant franchises that are not really doing anything new, but are just playing off of things that people already enjoy and are existing in other mediums as well. Yeah, they're they're just they're so bad. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they're they're well made movies. Like they put a bunch of money into them, so there is some of that that shows through but in terms of story or any sort of content that you get as soon as you leave the theater it's basically nothing yeah it's yeah um yeah i mean but you know yeah I mean, they're well you can enjoy something like that uh i mean i like a lot of Hollywood movies and thrillers, but the Avengers are that's just especially bad, I feel like. I think it's I, good I've, in I've like watched a small them. dose, but <laughs> I've watched some of them and I've I've been very bored by a lot of them. I've enjoyed some of them, but yeah. I think that like, like uh, after watching Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, after watching like you know one or two, you'd be like, "Whoa, these are like the pinnacle of uh, superhero movies," and then it's just one after the other, all the same. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe I got you know used to it. It's like same thing over and over. Yeah, and people like that because you know there's a lot of comic books to take from, so people want to see their favorite comic thing happen. Yeah, they put a lot of money into them, but they don't. They don't get the best directors. Maybe that would fix a lot, but you know, like the best directors just don't do superhero movies because <laughs> they're seen as really stupid because they are. But so, like Christopher Nolan <laughs> doing Batman was like crazy, and right, basically that never happens. Basically. Um. Yeah. Even like Steven Spielberg, huh. who I don't think, I don't, I I think of him as like, you know, a Hollywood director. Right? Um, but he, I like even him. I I don't I don't think he's like he hasn't done a superhero movie. It seems like superhero movies are beneath him. <laughs> Yeah, I could see there being some headway in like some director makes some cool superhero movie that's in a different kind of superhero movie. I'm sure that's already been tried, but doing it well or something like that could break that uh, division. I think, yeah, I think Batman's Batman makes that. But... Yeah, it's still kind of the same thing though right it's not like a totally different kind of movie it's it's a superhero movie just done really well yeah so it's it's still pretty constrained and what kind of people will work on it right uh wait so you want like a charlie kaufman <laughs> superhero movie 
That would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he would but, no, be good I, at yeah. it, but something in that style, that would be kind of cool. <laughs> I just want good movies. I, I, I want more. <laughs> something like The Batman. Yeah, but that's it. Mm-hmm. You're right that it's, it's not. There's nothing new about what it's trying to do. I think it's just, it is the superhero movie. I think it's just, yeah, it's done really well. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like how have you seen any of One Punch Man? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like how that is a superhero story but it's like different right it's like different kind of story yeah for for like the beginning and then it becomes another superhero story i i haven't read very much of it or watched very much of it so (laughs) maybe it maybe it does yeah but (laughs) at least it had it tried (laughs) yeah something like that Anyway, yeah, so this would be a longer topic, um, but is there anything else you want to say for today? Well, video games are even you know, in a much earlier phase than movies. Hmm, so yeah, good observation. Yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to look at that. And right now, like, the best video games are the most popular, I think, for the most part. Like there's a million, you know, indie games, but in my opinion, they're pretty terrible. And yeah, <laughs> but it, like the best, even I mean, the best narratives like Last of Us or Horizon Zero Dawn, stuff like that, you know, it are the you know they cost hundreds of millions of dollars to make, and they're also massively successful. It's like a lot of the yeah, you know, Sony exclusives. <laughs> it's insane how much money it costs to make these. Yeah, it's like hundreds of people over five years. <laughs> yeah. Personally, I think that, like, I don't even remember the last time I bought a AAA game. I just don't really like story driven games usually. So, I just out of pure personal preference, I, I haven't ended up liking those kinds of games but i don't have anything to say about the general state of video games because of that hmm. but i mean you can make the observation that uh, yeah i guess you can but you can look at like uh what's critically acclaimed and you can see like in movies the most popular movies aren't critically acclaimed, but in video right, games, right. the most popular video games are are basically they're very similar to the most critically acclaimed games. That's true, right? It, it's a much higher correlation. Yeah, so I guess that it corresponds to our theory that uh, you can like start off where the the quality of the game is corresponding to its mass appeal. Yeah. Yeah. The music example is weird to me because music is super old, but also, you know, <laughs> it's not. It's not like 
I think it's a little different from movies. Um, yeah. Some of the, yeah, playing songs are the most popular. Like, uh, you know, the Pulitzer Prize winning rap album. <laughs> that one sold really well. <laughs> Which rap album was that? Damn by Kendrick Lamar. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's called Damn by Kendrick Lamar. Amazing. Interesting. Well, I I don't know if I'm going to listen to it, but I'm glad they won our prize. You you should listen to his first album if you listen to any hip hop. His first album. Is it called Damn Zero? The prequel? Uh, no, it's a different uh, expletive. No, it's it's uh, it's called. Um, I forget what it's called. Darn. Uh, is that a word that you can't say? <laughs> no, I. But uh, anyways, it's like a story. And the album, the whole album, oh. story, and it begins with like an intro and. So it's not even a song, and then there's like some explanation throughout. But the music also is something totally different. So I, I thought it was very well done, and it's very much like a naive, you know, early art form <laughs> type thing. The way we've been talking about it, it's just it tells a story. There's nothing. It's not like about itself or something like that. Right. But it right. does it very well. It's a literal art form, <laughs> not a meta art form. But it's almost like a, it's not like music. It's like a story or a novel or something. It's like an audiobook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. The ultimate form of music. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I love my I love my music to be story driven. <laughs> Maybe it is an audiobook. It's just audiobook with background noises and, and uh, retina accent. Oh, nice, nice. I, I I'll try that out. You know. Uh, yeah, it did win the it won the Pulitzer, so it must be. <laughs> yeah, that that does explain it. That's true. So we've uh, segued into. Uh, spoiler or not spoiler what am i trying to say um cliffhanger next week we'll be talking about video games <laughs> something about video games we're not sure yet <laughs> let's just uh look and at maybe the not next in- week <laughs> <laughs> at some point let's just look at all the indie games on itch and look at the worst rated ones and play <laughs> and then make fun of them okay <laughs> oh yeah and we don't even so actually we we have a batch of about like what a thousand games <laughs> that we can <laughs> sample from yeah but i, I want to find the bad ones or the worst <laughs> ones I, i'm i guarantee you there are some bad ones <laughs> <laughs> any free bundle has at least 80 percent bad games <laughs> I don't know. The ones I've been I've played are like 
they're just not good, but they're not terrible. They're, they're just so fun. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting to find like really, really bad games. I bet I could find some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Like, what even makes an extremely bad game? <laughs> like, you know, you know, The Room, that movie? It's a um, cult thing. It's just it's just it's just known the as the worst. Yeah, it's it's known as the worst movie ever made. I'll I'll send you some clips. Oh. But it it's really like people would gather and watch it, uh and it was shown like all over uh, all over the the US for a long time. And then they just made kind of a remake uh of it. But <laughs> It's just, it's so bad, but it's very interesting to see how it's so bad. Uh, like, so bad that it's good. <laughs> it's yeah, so bad that, like, thousands of people for me- over many, many years have gathered to watch it. Like, the acting is terrible, the script is terrible, the, the directing is terrible, <laughs> uh, dialogue is terrible, uh, yeah, everything about it is terrible. But it's terrible in just the right way. Yeah, it's like, yeah, like I, you know, people would rather watch that movie than like a mediocre movie. Basically, you know, most <laughs> movies don't stick around that long. Yeah, that's a good point. That that is an interesting observation, huh? I I think a bad game would just be un- unplayable. Like you would just get stuck, and then that that's it. Right. Yeah, so that would be a bad, bad game. But a good, bad game would be one that you can actually play. <laughs> but it's just terrible experience. <laughs> I think that maybe common examples of that sort of thing are games with lots of glitches in them. Or just like things happen that aren't supposed to happen, you know? But usually you just end up getting stuck if it in those glitchy games. Um, Sometimes. I know there's this uh there's this wrestling game that has a lot of glitches where like <laughs> you're wrestling each other and then you'll like grab the air and then it'll like <laughs> look like it's grabbing you but from a distance <laughs> and it's like the 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 collision box was translated over for some reason <laughs> or you you like uh you throw them against the side of the stadium they like glitch through the stadium and like fly out of <laughs> the arena <laughs> things like that you know i guess it's more like funny or maybe that is part of it is that the the part of it that makes it good is that the badness is funny yeah yeah okay it's kind of uh, like how we... there's awkwardness <laughs> people okay. like to, like in movies especially as awkwardness is used as comedic you know and it's like it's a bad interaction but watching it is entertaining yeah if it's awkward enough yeah otherwise it's just uncomfortable (laughs) yeah it has to be awkward just enough in the right way just like this conversation (laughs) there's our meta reference (laughs) actually this hasn't been an awkward conversation 
Should we end it here? Yes. We, we, our our we endings are, are always awkward. That I'll say. We, because we don't have endings.